A spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and Kate Andrews. After months of forecasts, Ofgem has released their price cap. Can you tell us about it? Well, I think the new Prime Minister will have to announce within days, effectively, of entering Downing Street, what they plan to do. You would imagine there'll be their first speech, of course, on the steps of Downing Street, and you'd expect that to be on the first day. And while that might not be the specific technical policy solutions laid out in every detail, I think it would be obviously approaching madness if they didn't mention what they plan to do on what is currently the crisis, which most people are worried about. When it comes to what Nadim Zahori is doing, as Kate has touched on, effectively, we have a lame duck government at the moment that can't make any decisions. It can't have fiscal events. So Nadim Zori is saying that help is coming, but it won't be coming from him specifically. I mean, we are presuming, and I think it's very unlikely to stay as Chancellor. It seems Kwasi Kwarteng is very nailed on for that. And therefore, what the government has been reduced to in recent days, I think both Nadim Zahori and Boris Johnson have done this, is actually almost trying to give this rallying rhetoric. So you saw it a little bit last week, I think, from what Nadim Zahori is saying to MPs. But what Boris Johnson said this week, which was effectively... Yes, prices are going up, but that is a price Brits will pay because of what Ukrainians are having to do when it comes to standing up to Putin. Because, of course, the biggest factor in this price rise is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yes, there was an increase in demand after the pandemic, after COVID restrictions went. People started using more energy again. But what has obviously been the big change factor has been the invasion and and saying, well, the Ukrainians have it worse than you do. Of course, I think if you look at any of the polling or just, you know, how steep this rise is, 80%, that's... That is just not a line that's going to hold. I think there are a few things we're hearing Liz Truss is looking at. For example, Rishi Sunak has already said he'd cut VAT on energy bills. You have a situation where Liz Truss could do something like that. Also looking at whether you can put things through for universal credit, because there's a question of how do you reach the people you need? And I think that is one of the complications when it comes to uh, doing targeted help. I think just for a sense of the scale of the crisis. So you have Torsten Bell from the Resolution Foundation, who has been almost going through all the different plans and it's worth remembering that obviously Labour have been talking about just a general freeze of the energy price cap mm. which they would largely fund for an extension of the windfall tax Liz Truss has written a piece for the, the Mail today where she has ruled out using a windfall tax for, for helping with this but the Resolution Foundation analysis is effectively that tax cuts such as national insurance are pretty irrelevant mm. when it comes to dealing with the, this substantial rise. What Rishi Sunak's been alluding to, which is helping the most vulnerable, that could potentially miss out the working poor if it's uh, you know mainly those who are on benefits. And then uh, when it comes to Keir Starmer's plan, that is costly and non-targeted. So the most wealthy in society will actually get quite a lot from that. And is that the best use of funds? Kate, do you think ideology is now out the window for Liz Truss? She said at the beginning that she didn't want to give direct handouts to people, but the scale of the crisis, as Katie is saying, is such that just cutting taxes probably isn't going to be enough anymore. Yeah, well, in that sense, I I think you're right, Max. When I was reporting on the energy price cap rise this morning, I look back at that first big emergency support package that Rishi Sunak did in February. And keep in mind, that was early February. That was before any of Putin's troops had actually crossed over the border at that point into Ukraine. We we saw it coming. I mean, it was a few weeks away, but it was before the the war as it stands now had actually broken out. And still, he had to pledge £9 billion. And 
he said at the time, for me to stand here and pretend we don't have to adjust to paying higher prices would be wrong and dishonest. And he was right in the sense, like I said before, that that politicians and governments can't decide energy uh, global energy prices as much as they might like to. But I think the bigger point here is that he was kind of starting to gear up for the idea that he was going to wean people off the COVID era of support where the government just steps in and, and takes care of everything. And actually, he had to roll back on that quite significantly and do a 15 billion pound support package just a few months later later because it was so obvious that these aren't the kinds of price rises that you can expect people just to take you know a bit of a trim from this budget here and maybe don't go on holiday there and then you can pay your bills we are talking about such substantial price rises thousands and thousands of pounds that it is just not realistic or fair to expect people especially on the lowest incomes to come up with at any point let alone overnight so i think there's a real understanding sort of regardless of ideology here that this is a crisis and well, if you're not an anarchist and you think the government is there to help, these are the moments where it steps in. The difficulty for Liz Truss is that she's pledged, depending on who you ask, between 50 to 60 billion pounds in tax cuts, deficit finance tax cuts. I mean, that's a huge chunk of money. And now on top of that, she's going to have to find probably tens of billions more to help people get through the winter because we are not at the peak of the energy price cap yet. Hard to say how high it's going to go. Cornwall Insights this morning, which was quite close to predicting this energy price cap rise, thinks that it could peak at over £6,000 a year for your average household. We're talking substantial amounts of money. So sort of regardless of particular ideology, there's going to need to be immediate relief. And that is going to come in the form of some kind of spending package. Katie, Fraser wrote on Coffee House this morning that when he spoke to Rishi Sunak, as well as talking about lockdown, they spoke about energy prices. And Sunak said that he that the Treasury had modelled a worst case scenario of bills hitting around four or five thousand pounds and that he felt that they should go public with this. We've spoken about that on this podcast quite a lot, about preparing the public for just how bad this crisis would be. Do you think the government's done enough and are they gonna need to do more to make sure people are aware of quite how bad this is gonna be? So I think this is an interesting one and it's actually is in, I think opinion will divide on actually what you should do in a situation like this. Richie's next point, which is from the wider interview he gave to Fraser, which didn't make it into the magazine, which was more obviously on lockdown, is effectively that he felt there was a similar pattern to lockdown, which was not not telling people the hard truths or suggesting things are easier than they are. And this replied to Ukraine because he said that treasury modelling at the beginning of the crisis suggests worst case scenario it could mean 4000 to 5000 a year on energy bills and um, he said i remember saying at the beginning of this thing defending freedom is important but you've got to tell people that it is likely that energy bills go up to 4000 or 5000 in the worst case scenario i was like you need to go into it knowing that this is what might happen you've got to prepare the country for it and make sure that everybody's on board with that now I think there's clearly something which is don't pretend there is no price to taking action on this. And actually, you probably could have made a convincing case, which is what we've been hearing from Boris Johnson this week in Ukraine. But also, there is obviously a bit of an implication here, which if you read through the logic of this, when it says you've got to prepare the country and make sure everyone is on board with that, which does suggest at the very least wondering, well, should should you go on the full support that UK has? And I don't think that's necessarily Rishi Sunak's intention with the comments, but I think... There are lots of people who've been very proud of the UK's response to Ukraine and the fact, you know, standing up on democracy. And therefore, if you had talked about this at the time, there are many saying, actually, we shouldn't go, we shouldn't be providing such help to Ukraine. I think it's hard to know how you prepare the public for something like this if the government is so convinced it is the right thing to do on foreign policy. 
And Katie, just finally, there are reports overnight that Liz Truss is considering triggering Article 16, so unilaterally suspending parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol if she gets into number 10. What's that all about? Yes, this is an interesting one. I mean, ultimately, we have heard many times about the idea that Article 16 could be triggered under Boris Johnson. And many times it's seen as though he's been on the brink of doing so, and then it has never come to to pass. This would be the the legal route to effectively uh, suspending the protocol, trying to come up with a, a new plan to it. And the current plan the government has gone for has been free legislation. So when the government unveiled its big attempt to change the protocol, because really everyone on all sides agrees that it's not working if you look at the situation in Northern Ireland. They unveiled a plan to do this through legislation, so unilaterally changing in UK law the parts that they wanted to change and that weren't working. Now, this legislation is still going through the Commons. It's not really expected to clear till the end of the year. There also like to be, you know, quite a few rebellions in the House of Lords. So there's some scepticism, I think, as to what shape does it make it out if you are doing this. And there are some in government who hope by just doing the process of legislation, you you end up having a negotiation and it prompts the EU to start talking. Instead, so far, it's prompted the EU to threaten legal action and take some. But what Article 16 is doing, they're saying, well, this is actually, because that legislation won't be in place for some time, this is our stopgap. That's what Alice of Trust is saying. Now, I think it's interesting how this is dividing opinions. So, for example, Raul Ruparel, who is a former advisor in DEXU, but back when he had a Brexit department, he said that he doesn't actually see this as a massive escalation. UK has to respond to the EU challenging legal base of the current standstill, which is supported by Northern Ireland business. So in the narrow sense, this is a potentially legal way to do this. The flip side, of course, is more generally one of the reasons that figures such as Rishi Sunak have been arguing at these subcommittees in the past not to trigger Article 16 is because they think one once you do that, where do you go next? And does the EU retaliate by then potentially ending up in a trade war type situation? Now, we've just been talking about how tricky the economic picture is about the cost of living crisis. What would make that worse? Well, a trade war. A trade war would be no good. Uh, well, <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily happen, I think, but it's um, just one of those things that you can't rule out the risk. Well, no, Katie is completely right. You can't. So much of this comes down to timing and context. And I actually think that's what a lot of this leadership debate has been about. When it comes to tax cuts, they both agree there should be tax cuts. It's about when. And I think when it comes to tackling the problems with the protocol, it's a similar issue. You couldn't really think of a worse winter to be falling out with the European Union. And even if you didn't end up in a full-scale trade war, I would argue that There is really no room for anything but unity right now, especially while Russia continues its aggression against Ukraine. And there was an amusing, but I think somewhat concerning moment last night during Talk Radio's hustings with the two candidates where Liz Truss was asked whether or not France's Emmanuel Macron was friend or foe. And Liz said the jury's out. And it was obviously meant as a joke. And I think a lot of people are, if they try to read too much into that, are simply just anti-Liz Truss and, and deliberately trying to look for problems. But I I think there's something to the argument that it doesn't come across as the best form of leadership when, as I said, Europe is at war, when we're going into one of the toughest winters probably in living memory, and when she is, whilst going to need to be a tough negotiator over the protocol, she's also going to need to, to some extent, get along and, and be on terms in which she can negotiate with these European leaders. That was something Boris Johnson was actually very good at, that the protocol that he negotiated was flawed. But one of the reasons he was able to get it over the line is because when he showed up in Brussels, 
muscles. He was relatively charming and he smiled and he did the work and he put in the graft. He, he, he wasn't somebody who just, he, he let his advisors like David Frost play bad cop, but he deliberately played good cop. And I think Liz Truss is going to have to slightly fall on the side of good cop if she actually wants to have negotiations over the protocol rather than just end up in some kind of stalemate that could seriously damage trade at a time when we can simply not afford it. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening.